We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes on deck. Those of you who are looking to purchase a pre-owned vehicle, I want to encourage you to go to this website, happycarsflorida.com, or go visit the inventory there at 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale, 33315. The phone number is 954-745-9599. You've heard me talk about Happy Cars Florida, now all 2019, and the deals that they have going on right now are unbelievable. And better yet, if you want to buy any kind of car for you or your loved one, call Louie at 954-745-9599. And say that you heard about this on the Swings and Mishes podcast and that Craig sent you directly. He will get you into any car that you want. Louis is unbelievable. He's been involved in car buying and car selling for over two decades here in South Florida. And he can get you exactly what you want. I've been buying cars directly from Louis as well. So you can trust him and head on over there. He does all the financing in-house. Whether or not you have good credit, bad credit, or even no credit whatsoever, He will take care of you. Again, financing done on the site there. 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. That is happycarsflorida.com. Make sure you give them a call. 954-745-9599. Hello, baseball fans, and happy new year. Uh, From the folks here at Swings and Mishes, I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish. At the start of 2020, as we head into a really fast approaching new baseball season for the Miami Marlins. Uh, Craig, how was your new year? Are you excited to be in a new decade? Yeah, it's great to be back here doing the podcast. It's been a little bit since the winter meetings and a lot has happened. We're going to go through it. What still could happen. We'll go through that as well. And very soon pitchers and catchers will be reporting all over Florida, all over Arizona and the baseball season will get started. The regular season starts in March again this year. So I'm excited for that as well. And I think that 2020 will be maybe the most pivotal year for the Marlins franchise, maybe in the last decade, I think, with just the things that need to progress both at the major league and minor league level. And so I'm very excited for that. And of course, here on the podcast and on swingsandmishes.com, we'll be covering it all for you and appreciate all the support that everybody has given us for sure. And we're hoping to make this year bigger and better than ever, Jeremy, as they say. So I'm looking forward to that. And my new year is good. I hope yours was too. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely was. And, and obviously, I'm just as excited to, to head into this new year uh, of Swings and Mishes and Marlins coverage. And so as we do head into this new year, there are some new storylines since the last time we recorded this podcast, uh, one of which is someone who has yet to sign around med- Major League Baseball, and that's Yasiel Puig. Um, and Craig, I know you have some information on where Yasiel Puig is at with his camp and with the Marlins and would, would you like to sort of dive into that a little bit and sort of see where things are at in regards to Puig? Yeah, I, I think that the most important thing to start off with is Puig here because I know that he's a very popular, polarizing player that when things started to develop as far as Marlon's interest was concerned, that I think dominated at least some of the social media discussion and people clamoring for him and asking for the Marlins to sign him. And, uh, and, and I, and I want to kind of, go a little bit deeper into it because of course inevitably as everybody knows by now that Corey Dickerson was the player that the Marlins ended up signing mm-hmm. um, so the, the story with Puig is it sounds like unfortunately a similar story over the course of his entire career which is mm-hmm. that from what I understand uh, the Marlins were very interested 
in signing Yasiel Puig. Like they definitely wanted to sit down, get to a table, so to speak, and hash out a deal and hash out a contract with him. They just simply couldn't do it. Now, I'm not exactly sure why that is, but it wasn't for the Marlins' lack of trying. Hmm. And from what I'm understanding, there wasn't really like offers and negotiations even going back and forth. They simply couldn't really get serious with him at the at at the signing table so to speak so uh did the marlins give him some sort of ultimatum or anything like that i'm not really sure but it came down to the fact that once cole calhoun signed and it became evident that miami was unwilling to part with some of their younger prospects and of course i reported the the story with the twins with them discussing uh jake cave as a possibility for center field and then kind of sorting out left field um, may have been another possibility for them. They basically decided, hey, look, if we don't get Corey Dickerson signed and we don't do this now, we may not get anyone. And the Marlins were not going to exit the winter with nothing. And, and those two were the highest quality free agents still left to sign. And again, the Marlins didn't have to give up anything except for money for these guys. They did not right. have to give up any of their coveted prospects, any of their major league players. All they had to do was spend the money in which they did. So when they could not get Puig to give some sort of commitment or interest or whatever the case may be, they simply pivoted and Corey Dickerson was very motivated to sign and very motivated to sign with the Marlins. And so he gets that two year deal and a very fair deal that has been reported um, in terms of the money also, which looks like about 8 million a year, eight and a half million a year, something like that. And it puts the Marlins in a great position because if Dickerson has a great year, they have a choice. They could bring him back or they simply could do what they've wanted to do and what they've talked about doing, which is having all of these prospects start playing every single day and literally could give Corey Dickerson away if they, if they wanted to, you know, they, they could do it. Someone will take Corey Dickerson for eight and a half million dollars next year. If that is the case or 9 million, whatever, whatever the contract Mm -hmm. looks like, which I'm not sure it does. So it does open up a lot of options. I don't think they should do that. I think if he has a good year, they should keep him. Right. Because the mistake that everyone is making, by the way, is saying that every single one of these Marlins prospects are going to be good. Like, has anybody not watched baseball over the last 50 years? If the Marlins have 10 prospects that are ranked high, this is a newsflash for you. A couple are not going to work out. Mm. This is going to happen. This is natural. This is baseball. Not every prospect works out. Ask the Cubs. Ask the Astros. It's it's not a certainty some will and you should be excited about that but they but not all of them will some will not be good it's gonna happen right. and maybe one of them is an outfielder we don't know so that so again great signing i thought for miami they put their money where their mouth is they've been telling me as i've been telling you guys all off season long they're going to spend the money people are questioning me no they're not they're not going to yeah. do it they're not going to do it I'm like, well, well, they haven't lied to me yet, so I don't think they're going to lie to me now, and they did not. They did exactly what they said they were going to do. They basically, to this point, if, if we're looking at it from a financial point of view, and I know that people like to dig into the financials, so we can do that a little as well. Hmm. If you're just strictly looking, without getting too deep at it, that Prado was $18 million and Castro was about $12, let us just use abouts, that was about $30 million. VR, who they picked up off waivers that are going to have to pay him over $10 million. Uh, they're going to have to pay Corey Dickerson, let's say, about 7 or $8 million. Let's call it a total of 18 between the two. If Jesus Aguilar is able to have a good spring training and, again, uh, start at first base like they say, uh, I'm not sure about that. I question that a little bit, but we'll see. 
if that works out, that's over 20 million there. They've given Yimi Garcia a million, so that's 21, 22 million. They are basically have reinvested about 20 to 23 million of the 30 that came off the books, and I would expect them to do a little bit more as far as a reliever. I don't have a problem with the way that they've handled that. I think that that's fine. I would have had a problem if they only invested 10 out of the 30 and pocketed 20. Right, right. They did not do that. And then the, the real pressure will be on them next year when Chen's money comes off the books. And, of course, they have the new TV contract. At, that, at, at, at this point next year, we should be talking about a multi-year big uh, free agent signing for them to kind of take them to that next level. But that is not the case this year. So, uh, in summary, Jeremy, yeah. Marlins tried with Puig. They wanted Puig, couldn't get Puig in, in a chair to squirming around and say, you know, commit to us. Right. Uh, I, I, and we don't know the reasons why that. Maybe, maybe his, his reps didn't want him signing here. I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that. But whatever it is, they tried, didn't work, pivoted to Dickerson. I think they made the better choice anyway. They needed a left-handed bat, and that's where we stand with uh, the left field position. Dickerson, by the right. way, uh, who, uh, will platoon in left field. He, throughout his career, has been a much better hitter against right-handed pitching. Uh, teams just simply haven't committed to him against lefties. Maybe Miami will change that. Maybe that's one of their thought processes here. I don't think so. I think that he will be in a platoon, potentially with Matt Kemp if he makes the team, right. potentially with Austin Dean if he makes the team, potentially with Harold Ramirez, potentially with Garrett Cooper. There's a lot of different choices that they would have to go that route. But my guess is that... 90% of the left-handed pitchers that Corey Dickerson will face, he will be on the bench in that game. Right. A lot of information there, and you covered all of it before I could even ask you the follow-up questions. I think you were inside my brain as I it's was been a while. I'm thinking, hot, You're just I'm high, hot. ready to go, Let's just spitting fire out here. Let's go. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I literally, as we were going along, was thinking to myself, all right, well, now I can go to this. Oh, no, he's going to cover that storyline as well. Uh, well, so moving to somebody that, that has yet to be signed that, that I guess last night um, – was being discussed a bit on Twitter was the KBO, uh, I'll say star, uh, Jay Juan Kim, former MVP of the KBO. And you mentioned that the Marlins were interested in signing him prior to Dickerson. Um, but you just followed up on this now. And, and we've been discussing that the Marlins, you know, plan to be aggressive this off season, uh, in the ways that, that were financially responsible, um, without signing Puig, could the Marlins go after Kim? Could the Marlins be spending more money here? And, and what do you think the interest is in regards to Kim at this point? Yeah, I, I think that with uh, Fernando Seganal and their international scouting department, they're, they, in the offseason, decided that we don't just have to be conventional in signing players here in the States. We can also make trades. We can also look outside of the States right. to see if we can find someone and asking a couple of people last night directly, they definitely did discuss this player. There's no question about that, as well as, by the way, some other international players, hmm. I am told. So there were more than one or two. Uh, but again, it doesn't look like any of them will get signed. But this is something that's new for the organization, at least for the last few years. In general, they really haven't gone that route, as we know. Um, you know, each road they, they had, but he was in the States for a long period of time. He sopped Choi, I think is another name from, that's a blast from the past yeah. a while ago. 2005. Uh, you know, Tazawa, but these are all players with some big league experience and through trades. They hadn't really gone there and, and brought uh, somebody in that has made an impact on the big league team. So uh, my understanding is, um, and basically I was told directly old news. That's what it was to mm. old news. This was somebody that was looked at 
uh, before the holidays and once they uh, honed in on signing Dickerson, that was the end of the conversation. Kim may very well work out for another team. I can't say that it's a great sign that this, this guy has three days to sign with somebody or it's done because he's been mm. posted since the 5th of December. But it certainly is interesting that the Marlins did have interest in him. And I saw his numbers were really good two years ago and then they weren't as good last year. This is not me telling you anything that you can't see just by going on the internet. I know exactly the same amount as everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, with the exception of that the Marlins are no longer interested in this player. So it's an open and shut case. It was interesting to see the report come out last night. And as I've said many times before, the worst thing in this industry, I believe as a reporter and somebody who reports and covers things is when somebody craps all over one of my reports and says, it's not Mm -hmm. true. And of course it is. And I end up being right anyway, (laughs) But I, I just I, – and so I hate to do that to somebody else because I have so much respect for people who cover the game and who are around the game and who have sources and do a good job reporting. And so it was kind of painful last night for me to have to say, hey, uh, you know, they're not interested in this player. So I, tr- I tried to paint it as delicately as I could and basically say, hey, look, they definitely did have interest at one point. There's just uh, not interest anymore. Mm. So that's the summary of that. But, yeah, it, it's so annoying for me to see that, yeah. especially last year with the whole Real Muto stuff. And, right. And, and uh, oh, no, it's not happening. And then it can't happen. It won't happen. You know, it's like, okay, you know, if, if that's the way that you want to go. And people – and reporters right. do it to, to one another, too. And, um, I, and I just never – I never understood – what the point of of that was was to just basically knock down and be negative toward other people it's one thing if there's like an insane report out there but everybody has their sources and everybody has their own way of reporting and doing things and so i for one hate to be that person that even though i see something and i know that it's wrong i'm not going to jump on top of that person this is wrong this is not right just because i didn't have that information so that's just the way i handle things Right. Well, and you mentioned with Kim uh, that he's a player that had a very good season two years ago. It seems that the Marlins have been interested in basically bringing in, other than uh, Jonathan Villar, a few players that had good seasons a couple of years ago uh, and now maybe had a down season or two. We look at the example with, with Aguilar at first base, someone who was great in 2018. A couple other guys that the Marlins have signed that maybe weren't exactly at the top of their game last year, but have had really good careers. Francisco Cervelli and Matt Kemp, do you have any sort of thought processes on those two players being added to the Marlins roster? Yeah, and and by the way, uh, Aguilar is going to be very interesting too because I'm more of a believer in uh, in giving Cooper another chance. Right. I'm, dis- I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that uh, either that's not happening or at least maybe there's some motivation behind it. I'm not really sure. But th- that does disappoint me because I think that some of the injuries that he had last year were freakish, especially getting hit in the wrist. Like, right. you know, I don't I, I just, you know, I, I'm disappointed with that. Uh, but at the same time, of all of the Marlins signings, by the way, and, and I would say that their offseason is getting close to like an A or an A minus, mm. uh, Aguilar is the one that I've gotten the least positive response for basically saying, Hey, look, like, you know, I don't know if this one's going to work, you know, we'll see. I mean, they, the, they have a new bench coach and a hitting coordinator and Rousen who's, who is very highly regarded and the numbers back that up in Minnesota without question, but people around the game. And again, to have the information that I do and to do this podcast, you have to have people outside the Marlins organization to get information to do things. 
I have not gotten positive responses on Aguilar. There's a lot of people out there who think that he will not uh, be good. Mm. And, um, and the other part of this, too, is something to think about. And I'm, I'm sure the Marlins are not thinking about this. But what would happen if the spring did not go well? They could actually get out from under that contract uh, for a few hundred thousand dollars. And then Aguilar could go back to free agency. Let's also keep in mind that Aguilar passed through waivers completely through the American League before uh, Miami took a shot on him. That being said, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We'll see what happens in the spring. Maybe Aguilar comes back to the guy he was two years ago and hits 30 right. home runs. I'm just, I'm just telling you the things that I have heard. In terms of Matt Kemp, this is a very low-risk, high-reward signing, provided that he you know, kind of understands what his role is going to be on the team. And I'm guessing that he had to have that conversation before coming in. This was a guy that was arguably a former MVP, probably should have won the MVP many years ago. The, you know, Ryan Braun won it that yeah. year and and has been good as as soon as two years ago he was a really right. good player so maybe there's a chance for a little bit of 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 reclamation there but as you can see with them signing dickerson if they put kemp in left field against the left-handed pitching and kemp has mashed lefties and has by the way hit great in marlins park by the way maybe there's something there to that so you know, we'll see i i I, I would say that if he plays well he's got a chance to make the 25 man but i wouldn't say it's a lock but he certainly has the upper hand if he does well. They wouldn't bring him in. This reminds me of Granderson a little bit, where sure. he wasn't on the 40-man, but they were like, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, you're <laughs> going to be there in the end. I kind of feel like this is the case with Kemp, because I'm guessing he had a chance to sign with some other teams on non-roster. and mm-hmm. Comes back to Florida for spring training, so looking forward to interacting with him in a month or two, hopefully at FanFest. We'll see if uh, – I'm sure he'll be there. They're very big on bringing those players to FanFest. In terms of Cervelli, um, Cervelli is interesting, and there's the Yankees ties there, Jeremy. Right. So that certainly makes sense. He was with Posada, he was with Jeter, and Posada is a special assistant in the organization as well, uh, special advisor, excuse me, in the organization as well. So they're going to give him an opportunity to, I think, you know, work with Alfaro quite a bit. That would be a goal. Right. And and who knows? Cervelli could be more than just a traditional backup. He can obviously play. Uh, you know, 120 games in a season, if need be. He's had the issue with concussions in the past. He's also a very great guy, very well-liked. So he fits the character and he fits the culture of the organization. I've made it known. I thought Holiday had a great year. I thought they should have brought him back, but they chose not to. And they feel that Cervelli is an upgrade and provided that he doesn't have any health issues, Mm -hmm. there is absolutely that chance that Cervelli is an upgrade over Holiday. The health issues cannot be discounted. He's had concussions over the last couple of years. Chad Wallach has too. Yeah. And and I and I and we obviously hope for the best for Chad Wallach as well. But uh, that's kind of the direction that that they went in. And I am a little surprised that they gave uh, Cervelli a couple million to uh, to come to Miami. But that tells you, Jeremy, that some other teams were interested too. And I, by the way, should have included him when I was going over the, some of the financials as well. Right. Cervelli is at least during his prime, tremendous defensively. And so I think working with Alfaro can be a really positive thing. The framing. Yeah, he was yeah. a fantastic tremendous. Yeah. yeah. And and watching him work with those Yankee staffs over those years was, was actually like fun to watch as baseball nerd. You know, it's funny, listening to everything that we're discussing in regards to some of these players with Kemp, with Cervelli, with Dickerson, and you're going and Aguilar and going back a couple of years. It, what what reigns through to me is the organizational competence in their process uh, because it, it almost reminds you of the Heat 
taking risks on players and sort of bringing them and, you know, the heat culture, bringing them, getting them in shape, and they're playing the best basketball of their careers in certain circumstances, it feels like the Marlins are taking similar risks and saying, hey, look, we've seen these guys thrive. We believe in our process. We believe in what we're going to be teaching, whether it's at the plate, whether it's defensively, whether it's working them into the lineup in specific ways, whether it's their scouting, spin rate, and all of these different, you know, launch angle, all these different things that the Marlins have been using. It feels like these sort of signings sort of reign organizational confidence, and we're going to get the best out of each of these players. And that's kind of a joy to see. Well, they'll have to do that, not just with the players, but with the, the coaching and development. Mm-hmm. I think that is, is absolutely crucial with bringing Stottlemyre back for the pitchers and bringing James Rousen in for the hitters. And I think that that is, is just as important with right. the changes that they made in the offseason to try to improve that. So hopefully that will be the case. And, and in terms of what they've done as far as free agency, as opposed to last year, again, no indictment at all on Curtis Granderson or Neil Walker or anyone else who they had in the organization, these players that they've signed are definitely a notch above right. those guys from last year. And uh, two of my favorite guys in Walkerson and, uh, Walker and Granderson for sure. Mm-hmm. But we got to get real with what the numbers were. And Prado, by the way. Uh, yeah. But they've replaced them with other veterans who can play at a higher level. And there's nothing wrong with, with taking chances on, on players that are kind of reclamation projects because, right. again, you are there is significant risk with any player that you sign for $10 million, like a like a Corey Dickerson. Like, that, that guy has to be good for you. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. counting on that. But what are they really risking with Matt Kemp if he doesn't play well in the spring or he doesn't look like he has it anymore? What are they risking even with Aguilar at this point? Would anybody – uh, go crazy if Aguilar just didn't look good and they put Cooper back at first base like no no one would not at all would, would miss a beat there so um, I think that what people have to understand is it's good to be positive but it's also good to be realistic and understand that not every single move that you make right. is going to work out it's just it, this is not the way that baseball works they have to develop uh, Alfaro behind the plate by bringing in Cervelli maybe that helps Rousen they have a young second baseman that's a rookie in Isan Dia. That's a huge piece of the mm-hmm. 2020 puzzle. They have to make sure that he develops. They have to make sure that Brian Anderson stays the same, gets better. Um, you know, that's the, these are all parts of what has to happen, and some of that is within the coaching staff as well. So while there are some still interesting positions, and again, there are players on the team that are on their last shot, so to speak, like Lewis Brinson's a good example of that. I think Brinson is not an example that I would say of failure because this happens in the big leagues. Players just don't live up to who you thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. What it is an example of is how you have to understand how important the development of a player is and, and the course of, of what needs to happen over the next six to eight months where these young kids who we're seeing need to be developed before they get to the big league level. And then once they get there, hopefully things work out. Right. And, and so a couple last questions before uh, we wrap this one up. Uh, we've talked a lot this offseason about the bullpen. We saw Yimi Garcia uh, signed for the Marlins. Do you think the, what is your thought process on where the Marlins go from here in regards to the bullpen? Well, they, they have a few non-roster invitees that they brought in that we'll keep an eye on. And my guess is one or two of them have a chance to make the team. So that's, that's one part of it, I think. Uh, but no matter what, and, and this is even with Yimi Garcia, and this is talking to people inside and outside the organization, the Marlins have to bring in some veteran bullpen guy. Like, they have right. to have someone that has had late eighth inning, ninth inning experience 
and I don't think they have to do it expensive. I, that's not the case. But there are still names out there like Pedro Strope and Brandon Kinsler and Hector mm. Rondon who would probably sign on a one-year deal for a million or two or even three, similar to how they signed Romo last year. I don't think that they're in the, the conversation for somebody like Will Harris. Mm. I don't think they're in the conversation uh, for Steve Ciszek. These are guys that could potentially even get two-year deals. I don't think Miami's willing to go that. They, they focused the money that they had and the flexibility that they had on the offense. But hmm. they cannot go into 2019 – uh, with with the way that the bullpen is currently set up, I don't think. Now, if they signed, I'll use, and, and this is without any information, I'm just going to give it to you. If they signed Brandon Kinsler, that would be good enough for me. Like As long as there's just one guy with some ninth <laughs> inning experience that you know that has done it in the past, that can close a game out, that has had the mentality, because this goes, uh, the ninth inning goes aside from some of the stats. Right and some of the advanced metrics, and it does go to do you have the stomach to pitch the ninth, okay? It's a little bit different than every other position on the field. Uh, Ken Giles is a good example of that on the Toronto yeah. Blue Jays. Ken Giles is back to being Ken Giles again. All of a sudden in Toronto, he was punching himself in the face at Houston, okay? <laughs> so you, ha- you, you have to have that. Mel Stottlemyre understands that. His dad had Mariano Rivera right. for a billion years. He knows what it takes. They have to have a vet. They have to have someone, as at the very least, as a fallback option. Because uh, Ryan Stanek, who may potentially get a shot at that, I mean, let's be real. He, he did not pitch very well in the high leverage. Do I think he can? Absolutely. Do I think there's a chance he will? Sure. Uh, you know, but uh, we, we cannot be throwing, with all due respect, the Steckenrider's name out there again and Adam Conley's name out I mean, there are a lot of questions going there. Yeah. And while the bullpen doesn't need to be a spot where you spend millions and millions, I don't believe in that. Remember, you have Sandy Alcantara, you have Pablo Lopez, you have Caleb Smith, Eliezer Hernandez, Yamamoto, these young kids coming up. You can't deflate this team by letting these dudes throw six, seven innings and then bringing in guys constantly that are going to give up the game. That's going to get right. to them. You have to have some reliability there and if and if the marlins would counter with that oh well we brought in yimi garcia okay that's fine yimi garcia has never pitched well in high leverage and has never had the chance right they need a guy jeremy that's going to get them to the ninth or someone that's going to pitch the ninth at a low cost take a shot piece together the bullpen in a season where you're going to win you know 70 games or whatever it is 75 68 78 whatever it is we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> prediction when we get closer right but there needs to be an addition to it and and i would assume that that is the next point of of what the marlins will attack going in with just stanick as as the closer without a backup option sort of reminds me of last year going in with just brinson in center after having seen some from the season before and not really having the backup option there, but, but well, actually, you know what, it, you know, what's funny is I've brought is, is exactly what you're saying is what I've brought up with the bullpen and the answer right. that, that, but the answer that I got was, well, did you think that Nick Anderson was going to be so good when we went oh. into the year and look how good he turned out to be? Congratulations guys. <laughs> it worked. You, you were, you, you did a phenomenal job at finding a guy that nobody had ever heard of and turned into what I think, who I think is going to be one of the most dominant pitchers oh. in the American League out of the bullpen. Congratulations. Yeah. And you got Jesus Sanchez from that. Richards was fine, whatever. But you, you did a great job doing that. 
you're telling me you're going to do that again this year? Right. You're going to do that again every year? That's not the way baseball works, okay? Right. You do it once, you may, you may do it again. Listen, you may do it for the next 10 years, and maybe you're the best organization in baseball doing that. But we cannot count on that. Come on. You got, you got to make sure that you have a little bit of reliability there. And I'll be the first one at the end of the year. If they find the next Nick Anderson again mm-hmm. and find another guy again just like that, then maybe that's, what, uh, that's, that's a change for sure in the organization. But I, I don't think – I think it would be foolish to say that they, they, they can do that year after year. I, right. I, I don't maybe That's just me. But, you know, prove me wrong, I guess, <laughs> is, what I, is what I'll say. I tend to agree with you. And one, one last question. We've, we've discussed all sorts of different players that have been signed to this roster. And, and I think as everyone, all of these signings have happened, everyone, at least on Twitter, has been trying to figure out, all right, who plays where? Uh, and so something you mentioned uh, here last week was Jonathan Villar maybe getting a shot to play some center field. Uh, while traditionally he's, you know, we thought maybe he'd play a little corner outfield, maybe a little left field, definitely has been primarily an infielder. Villar in center field could solve a lot of the alignment issues for the Marlins in terms of getting all the best bats in the order. So what are your thoughts on Villar maybe getting a shot during spring training to play some center field? Yeah, I I think that their goal is to have him play third and to have Brian Anderson play right and to have Dickerson in left. Mm. And that's a glaring hole, I think, for sure, in center field. There's, there's, There's no question. Um, but I would not rule out that because they have studied film Mm. on him playing the outfield. And from what I'm told, that was a big reason why they claimed him and signed him is because they do feel that he can play other positions. Uh, The guys in Milwaukee say that VR has always done better when he's been given one position and can focus on his offense uh, because he did not have a good year the year they moved him all around. Who knows? That it could have been a different situation. It could be the same situation that pops up again. But my guess is, is that they put VR at third to start the spring, and they you know, certainly have all of February and into March to try it. Mm-hmm. And as, as the spring goes on, they'll sprinkle him a little bit, and, and they don't need him in left anymore unless they would platoon. But they would definitely need him somewhat in center if they chose to go that route. Right. And the reason why I brought that up is because I know for a fact that the organization has looked at this. This is not mm-hmm. something that you would just say, oh, the guy can play the outfield. And I know that he hasn't played a lot, but he has played some. And they did study uh, video and metrics to say that they believe that he can be their center fielder. Uh, if he is not, and they're comfortable with playing him at third base, then I think that it's probably safe to say that going into 2020, as of right now, that center field is their weakest offensive position on the field. Probably. Sure. Uh, John Birdie would be my choice. That's who, that, if, if I had a choice among everybody who's left, he would be my choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, banking on him doing what he did last year. But then that conversation would go something like this to me. If I was asking questions to the organization, well, if John Birdie is good enough to be your center fielder every day with all of his injuries, why isn't Garrett Cooper yep. uh, viable to play him every single day? Because Birdie had, you know, injuries, you know, throughout last year as well. So um, that he would be my choice. I think Birdie can play everywhere on the field. There's some love, of course, for uh, Magnera Sierra, who's out of options and, and potentially a chance. Uh, what I would say to those people, and this is, again, no indictment on Magnera Sierra, as you're listening to this podcast, close your eyes 
picture Magnera Sierra, and then tell me anybody in the major leagues who plays every day that looks and plays like Magnera Sierra, and you can't give me anyone. Right. And that's kind of the answer, is that there is no comp for a light-hitting center fielder who um, – it could be a good player, but I mean, I guess he's okay defensively. There just aren't a lot of guys like that, like Jared Dyson uh, types, right? Uh, that are, that are like him that play every single day at a high level. So uh, my guess is he is not the answer in center field. And as I've said before, I do not believe, sadly, that Lewis Brinson is the answer either in center field. Mm-hmm. So I think that they're going to have to, you know, maybe they'll sign someone, or maybe it does become Jeremy a birdie uh, VR wait for Monte Harrison, uh, right. you know, you know, kind of, I think Monte is going to spend some time in the minors as he should. He missed a lot of last year too. I think that'll kind of be the situation or perhaps they go back to the twins and say, Hey, uh, yeah, Jake cave. will uh, we'll take him. And you know, that'd be a great option to have in center field too, but they would have to give up some, uh, a player of value. They were unwilling to give up Eliezer Hernandez. So that's kind of the way that I see it. If I had to guess the opening day would be Alfaro behind the plate. They believe Aguilar will be the first baseman. I'll take their word for it. They told me O'Brien would last year, too. Let's keep that in <laughs> mind. Uh, second base will be Isan Diaz. At short, you'll have Miguel Rojas. At third, you'll have VR. Um, at right, you'll have Anderson. At left, you'll have Corey Dickerson. And in center, I guess you'll have either Birdie, Brinson, or Sierra. But right. I have a feeling that'll, that'll get more sorted out and more clear as we go. Yeah, I think uh, offensively, the dream scenario would be that VR can play some center field. So then you could have Anderson at third and Cooper and right. But we that's should what I would do. That's, that's, what, I, that's how I'd want it. That's but, what I would do. But, but, I, but again, Marlins Park is a big place. And can VR play that center field? Fast. I don't know. He's certainly fast. That much I, that, we know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, the, that's the biggest offseason acquisition for Miami. And I think that people are going to love watching him play. And um they get an A plus on that uh, on that acquisition and signing. It was absolute perfect player for them to have. His team's in need of some steals, some need of some run production, some need of some excitement. And just because the guy's name was in Puig doesn't mean that this guy can't deliver that. VR was an absolute monster with the Orioles last year, stealing bases, getting a bit similar to what he was a few years ago in Milwaukee. And if he could just mm-hmm. come close to what he was in Baltimore with his work ethic. And and how and you I mean you go back and and look at interviews that this kid has done in the last ten years. Uh, you can find a lot on YouTube and how how hard and how badly yep uh, this guy wants to succeed. They got a great player, I think, in this uh, in this VR. Yeah, it's exciting to head into 2020 with him on the roster and all of these other acquisitions. Uh, Craig, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? And you know, our first podcast of 2020 as we head into this season. Yeah, next week the Marlins will announce the signings of Dickerson and Francisco Cervelli. I think that will be done next Wednesday or Thursday, and when that happens, they'll have to remove a couple of guys from the 40-man, and I, don't, I tend to not cut people, so we won't do it here on the podcast, and I don't think that it'll be of, of any huge significance. So look for those signings to be announced midweek next week. And, and then, uh, you know, as, as needed, we'll come back and do the podcast in, in January. And then once February comes and spring training comes, you can no doubt about it. Expect us to be here at least once a week, if not more. And also with Swings and Mishes in Espanol. Absolutely. Uh, be sure to follow us at Swings and Mishes on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Jeremy Taché, at Craig Mish. And please like, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast as 
we always say at the end of these. So thank you guys for listening. Happy 2020. And we look forward to being with you guys more often the further the year goes along.